My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. This morning we'll be focusing primarily on the passage we heard from the Gospel according to St. Mark. And it begins with John's arrest. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God. And so we've heard uh, the past few weeks from the Gospel readings parts of the story of, of St. John and his preparation for Christ's coming. You know, the one is coming whose sandals I'm not worthy to loosen. Um, John also says in other places when his disciples say, hey, like people are following him and not you. And John would say things like he must increase and I must decrease. He would even say as Jesus walked by, like we heard a few weeks ago, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And immediately uh, St. Andrew turns and follows Jesus. And he loses a disciple right there. Even though his ministry and Jesus' ministry, uh, they sort of run simultaneously kind of up until um, this point. And then we see John's ministry becoming less until, until his arrest. Even though we do know that there are people still following him as they come and they visit him. Uh, when he's in prison. But all of John's life, all of John's preparation revolves around Jesus and revolves around John's testifying to Jesus' identity. The core of his preaching is the Lamb of God is coming. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. Repent. And so Jesus enters Galilee proclaiming the gospel. Proclaiming the gospel. We're going to focus on what that means. Where he says in verse 15, three things. The time is fulfilled. And then he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then the third thing he says is, repent and believe the gospel. And then we have the calling of the first disciples. So when we look at this passage, well, the part of the passage that says, the time is fulfilled. So we think to ourselves, well, what time is fulfilled? What does that mean? Well, in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, St. Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So there's this idea that St. Paul is working with here, that the Gospel of St. Mark, that Mark is writing about here as well, that there's something about time, that time has been fulfilled. Everything in Israel's history up until this point has been leading up to this moment. This is what the prophets have been talking about. This is what the law, the Torah, has been pointing us towards. The time is coming. The time is coming. And Jesus steps on the scene and he says, Time is fulfilled. Everything that all of the prophets have said is coming true. And it's coming true right now. Right? And remember... You know, Jesus' first sermon, right? He goes into the synagogue and he, he goes and he grabs the scroll of Isaiah and he reads that portion, right? That portion, it's a beautiful portion that we hear read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he says, to preach freedom, uh, freedom to the captives, 
right? The restoration of sight the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And then he rolls back up the scroll and he gives it to the, the, the leaders of the synagogue and he begins to preach because that's, kind of, that's, that's how you would do it. People would read and then they would talk about it and then they would go around like that. And Jesus gives him back the scroll and do you remember what he says? He says, today that scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today. That link between the prophets, the law, everything, and his advent. The time is fulfilled. And we talked about a few weeks ago, God's relationship with time, how that's different than ours. Like, right, sometimes God's timing seems very long from our perspective because we're finite beings. But with God, a day is as a thousand years, St. Peter reminds us. So then Jesus comes and says, okay, time has been fulfilled. Everything we've been waiting for is here in me. Then he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. So when we think of a kingdom, we think of God's rule and God's reign. Right? There's this hierarchical monarch. Uh, I can't talk today. I'm sorry. Right? There's this language of the monarch right? in the scriptures. And something about our modern culture, like we know we don't like hierarchy. <laughs> oh no. But God's rule, God's reign. And we heard it referenced in the reading from Jeremiah where, where the prophet Jeremiah talks about this beautiful inheritance. This beautiful inheritance that's available that they are not receiving because of their sin. Because of their sin, right? God's rule and reign, right? God's intention for Israel, for his people was oftentimes at odds with what they wanted. He had a high calling for them, a high destiny for them. And their history is one of continually failing to achieve that. Think about it like this, right? So when we talk about the kingdom of God and the kingship of God, do you remember the story? It's in the Torah. And the people say, not in the Torah, I think it's in, um, sorry, 1 Samuel. And... Um, what do they say? They're like, we want a king to Samuel. We want a king like all of the other nations. And Samuel's like, that's not a good idea. And God's like, that's not a good idea. And the people are like, well, we want that anyway, right? When we go, when other nations go out to battle, they have a king, and the king kind of leads them out, and the king kind of governs and rules. And right, if you think about what's going on in that context at the time, you know, you have the judges that arise over this very long period, right? When we, we talked about this many, 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 many years ago, right, when I did the series on judges, and about that cycle of, 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 of apostasy and then enslavement and repentance and then God raising up a judge and then the judge frees them from the from their enslavement right and then they they're kind of faithful a little bit and then the judge dies and they kind of slide back in to the same patterns right this idea so you can see in one way like, yeah maybe a king might help stabilize us a little bit I don't know but they say give us a king like all of the other nations around us we want to be just like them but the whole, the whole, their whole story is God showing that you are not like the other nations. I'm using you actually to show exactly that point. My intention for humanity is demonstrated in and through you. And we also think about in the ancient world, right, for the, the Egyptians, for the Babylonians, stuff like that, right? They, their king was seen to be an embodiment of the gods or a god. 
Right, so in, in, in Egypt, right, Pharaoh was sort of, he was a divine figure. Like, it, he was, it was his role to sort of keep everything, uh, to control, like, you know, chaos or whatever. And he was seen as a god. Even in the Roman world, many, 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 many thousands of years later, the Caesars were worshipped as god, right? So, uh, Augustus, you know, he, he claims to have had this vision of seeing Julius Caesar, you know, ascend to the heavens and, and to sit with the gods. And so we, he's going to, you know, we need to worship Julius Caesar as God. So now we have what's called the cult of emperor worship in the Roman world too, right? The king was an embodiment of a, a god. So them asking for a king is not just them saying, you know, we really prefer a monarchy over a constitutional republic. Can we have that instead, God? That's not what's happening there. Kind of is, but not really. It's not about preferred government styles. Unlike the other nations, their king is to, be, is to be Yahweh, God himself, the most high God who made all things. And so God gives them what they want. But what God is going to do is he's going to step in himself as king. Which is why Jesus comes. That's why at the end of the liturgical year, right? Remember, every year, right before we get into Advent, what do we commemorate? Christ the what? Christ the King. Christ the King. So Jesus is here saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Basically, I'm the one bringing this kingdom into being. Right? It's here with me. Everything that the prophets talked about, it's here, it's now. Right? God's righteousness, God's justice, God's truth is finally here and will be worked out and lived out in this kingdom that I am bringing about. Not just in the far off future, but also in the here and now. Be a part of it. So then he says, repent and believe. Okay? Repent and believe. If the time is fulfilled... If God's kingdom has begun to break through, then how does one join that kingdom? How does one become part of that kingdom? Well, by repentance. And it's interesting here that the call to repentance, even though it will be extended right to the Gentiles, as we see in the Gospels and in the book of Acts in particular through the ministry of St. Paul, initially, Jesus, he says, I have come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Right, so this call to repentance, to repent and believe, is for them. Initially, it's for the people of Israel. Repent and believe. Repent and believe, particularly in me, that I'm the one that the law of the prophets point towards. I'm the one bringing out God's kingdom in the here and now. I'm the one ruling and reigning. Because we have to understand, they kind of forget their own history. They wind up trusting in their own identity as children of Abraham. They think that that's enough. They trusted in their identity as being descendants of Abraham, that that somehow was enough for them. But what they have to do is like what we heard from the Jeremiah portion this morning from the Old Testament, where he says, he tells them to circumcise your heart. Circumcise your heart. How does one join God's kingdom then? Is by repentance. How does one follow Jesus? By repentance. Repentance and believing. Right? So when we talk about repentance, repentance is not 
just sorrow. Right? It's not just sorrow. Repentance is not feeling bad because mistakes were made. Have you ever, have you ever had a moment where you're, you have maybe a little bit of quiet time to yourself and you think about something that you haven't thought about in years and you go, wow, that was a really stupid thing to do. I really should not have said that or done that to that person. And it could be like 20 years ago. Am I the only one? I guess. Oh, okay, good. Thank you for being honest. And it comes at the weirdest times. Like, oh, I, I should not have said that to that person. It doesn't matter if you apologize to them like 30 years ago, right? It's still kind of like, oh, oh. Like repentance isn't just that, right? It's not just sorrow or feeling bad because of a mistake that we made. Repentance is a turning around. It's not just saying, I'm going to try really hard not to sin. I'm going to try really hard not to do something. Or, or uh, it's, it's not just, well, I'm going to make a good resolution this year and stick with it. How many of you have made resolutions this year and have stuck with them? All right. Repentance is active, right? It's something that we do, not just doubling down on, on trying harder. And we're going to be going into Lent very, very soon, right? And Lent is this season of self-examination. I, I did a podcast with a friend of mine the other day, and we talked about the self-examined life. We talked about how very few people now in our day and age and in our culture examine themselves, do the work of sort of looking inwardly, and then trying to apprehend the good that God offers us. And we're coming into this penitential season. And Lent can feel like a drag because we're going to get on our knees. We're going to ask God, <laughs> we're going to continually ask for forgiveness. We're going to ask for mercy all the time. And we don't do that because we think that if we don't do it a bunch, God's not going to have mercy on us. We know He will. But what that's meant to do is to cause a shift on the inside of us. That we need to constantly come and acknowledge our weakness. That we need to acknowledge that we cannot fight sin or sinful inclinations on our own power. It's to acknowledge that we need the presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit that God gave to us when we were baptized and brought into His kingdom. Repentance is a life of constant turning our hearts to God. And Jesus doesn't just say repent, he says believe. And like repentance, believing is not merely a mental thing. It's not merely a mental exercise. It's not like, okay, you know, here's, here's a series of bullet points. All right, do I believe this? Check. 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 Now, I'm not saying that there isn't a mental ascent to believe, right? We're going to confess today before we come before the Lord's uh, table. We're going to confess the Nicene Creed. And the Nicene Creed actually lays out a bunch of stuff for us that we as Christians are to believe. I believe in one God, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Father Almighty, I believe in the, the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and Son is worshipped and glorified, right? And we talk about Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Those are beliefs that we as Christians need to hold on to. There is a content to our faith. But that content isn't just us mentally ascending to, I believe in Jesus, or I believe in God. 
If you, pulled a, if you pulled 20 people off the street and you asked them, do you believe in God? They could say yes. Yeah, sure. But, but the follow-up question is, who or what is God? Well, you know, the universe is God. Oh, no, the universe is not God. Or you and me, you know, we're gods. I'm a god, you're a god. Well, no, we're not gods. Right. Who is God? God is revealed to us in Scripture as the Father. So there is a content to what we believe, the content to things that we do affirm. But then it's not just a mental ascent to, those, to, to content. It's also how do we live based on that, right? How do we act with what we've been given, right? Like Cindy just read from 1 Corinthians where St. Paul says, keep the commandments of the Lord. Very clear. So to believe is in action. It's, it's, it's something that we live. It's something that we do. It's our faith. It's our, our trust, our loyalty to Christ. Active and visible through how we live our lives. And so... We think for us, brothers and sisters, in our own context, what does this you know, three-part proclamation mean for us? Right? This, this shapes our own witness and our own life. You know, we're thousands of years removed from Jesus' showing up in the Middle East. But for us, what does Jesus say about the kingdom of God? Right? Or, or the time has come, right? the time is fulfilled. For us now, in 2024, we're still living in that. Time is at hand. We're still living in that moment. That moment hasn't gone away. It hasn't lessened because we're in 2024 instead of, I don't know, 30, 30 AD or whatever. We're living in that time. And we as Christians, we are living as citizens of God's kingdom. So this proclamation that Jesus makes, right? That the kingdom of God is at hand and to repent and believe the gospel, this is a proclamation that we as Christians ourselves still need to hear. Because our hearts can grow cold and stony. And we constantly need to hear the good news of God's love and what Christ has done for us. Like the children of Israel needed to hear from John and how they needed to hear from Jesus. We still need to hear it even as followers of Christ. Because that life of repentance is something that we are to cultivate. But here's a little bit of a difference between that initial context that we see in Mark's gospel and our own. Is that that call, right, to, uh, to that the kingdom of God is at hand and to repent and to believe the gospel. That's a proclamation that we as Christians ourselves, that we take up, that we proclaim to others. We're not in the Middle East anymore, right? We're not in, in Judea of the ancient world. We're in America. But that proclamation to join God's kingdom and to repent and to believe the gospel, that's not just a specialized proclamation that I'm supposed to do up here for you guys on Sunday. And then how that gets demonstrated through the sacraments, through baptism and through the Eucharist. This is also a call that you are to make. A proclamation that you, as God's people, are to make. To those around you. I'm not saying you have to get on a, a, you know, a soapbox or a bullhorn. I mean, if you want to, like, God bless you. Go ahead. I'm not saying you have to go and, and 
you know, you run into Shelly at the supermarket, right? And like, hey, Shelly, how you doing? Repent and believe the gospel. I'm going to go tell the teller that, right? Repent and believe the gospel. I know people who do that, right? I know people who they'll just do be minding your own business at a gas station, and somebody will drive up next to them. They'll start filling up their car, and they'll turn to them and say, do you know Jesus? God bless them. That's amazing. I'm not saying we all have to do that, right? But through the way we live, through how we speak, we still proclaim the good news of Jesus. That's something we're all called to do. Is that God's kingdom is here. God's rule, God's just, righteous, loving reign has begun. We're waiting for it to, to come in full. Right? We're waiting for that. It hasn't happened. But we're in that time. Where we're waiting for it's coming in fullness. And so if we're in that time of waiting for its coming in fullness, then that immediacy, right, that, that should give us immediacy, right? That should give us a little bit of a, a, I don't know, like a tack in the butt, right? Like you see in a cartoon. If you want someone to get up off a chair or whatever, you see in the cartoon, they stick a little tack in them and they like jump up in the air. That's what that should be for us. That there should be an immediacy to, our, to the gospel, to how we live. Because... We're coming to a point with the return of Christ, right? That's what we're waiting for. That's what we're hoping for. But what we want, but the scripture says that God doesn't desire for any to perish, but that all should be saved. So that should give us that should give us motivation. That should give us motivation, not just to proclaim the excellency of Jesus Christ, but also to form our own lives in service to Him and to one another. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast for Zion Stone Church. I'm Reverend Mike Lansman, and I'd like to extend to you an invitation, if you're ever in our area, to please worship with us Sunday mornings at 1015. If you'd like to get a hold of me, or would like some information about the church, or just have some questions, feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page or via email. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.